everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Bible Breakdown. Very excited to be talking about Easter this week, as this, of course, is Holy Week. Um, today, specifically, that I'm recording a Thursday, is Maundy Thursday, which I actually didn't know what that meant until yesterday. So, uh, Maundy Thursday, though, commemorates the Last Supper and the washing of the disciples' feet. So, there you go. So we call it Holy Week because there's a lot of good things that happen this week, a lot of things that are memorable and applicable and important. Of course, by the time we get to Sunday, we will be celebrating the most wonderful event in the history of mankind, which is the resurrection. Um, I was talking to um, some kids last Sunday during church about how, you know, Christmas, of course, gets a lot of the commercial hype, but Easter is really, you know, the most exciting holiday um, and the biggest one for us to celebrate. And they were like, well, if Jesus, like if we didn't, if Jesus wasn't born as a person, then none of this would have happened. And I was like, that's actually a pretty good point. So no need to pick favorites, though Easter is really important and it doesn't get enough, get probably enough importance, but that's okay. We don't need to have a bunch of presents and a tree and a guy with presents and a beard to make things exciting for Easter, we have a risen Jesus. So that is what we are going to focus on today. We're going to be looking at the account in Mark 16. So we're going to, that's the resurrection account we are going to look at. Each of the gospels does have a resurrection account and we'll talk a little bit about those, um, but mostly we're going to be here in Mark 16. Um, and so we're going to talk about this account. We're going to talk a little bit about how it compares to the others. And then we are also going to finish off with a good reason to believe the resurrection happened because I think we all agree that if the resurrection did happen, then it changes everything. So we're, I'm just going to leave you with a good reason to believe that the resurrection did happen and that it did change everything and that Jesus is worthy of our worship. So that's what we're going to talk about today, starting in Mark 16 with verse 1, reading through verse 3. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So these three women uh, are going to the tomb and they are bringing spices. And the reason is to do some ancient world embalming for the uh, smell of the body. So it is very clear that they are not expecting anything particularly spectacular to happen uh, on this trip, um, including the fact that they're, it's one of those situations that get to the almost the end of the journey, it seems like at least. And they're like, oh, we didn't think about this. We didn't think about the fact that we're going to have to roll this stone away that somebody's going to have to do it for us. Don't you hate when you get like almost to the end of something and you realize a major thing that a couple weeks ago I bought a mower and I got them to bring it out and it was in a large box and I had my four-door Elantra and I was like, I didn't think about whether or not this is going to fit in the car. It did though. So it was good. It worked out. It also worked out for the ladies here in the story um, because the stone's going to be rolled away for them. So there you go. Um, okay. So one way that we're going to kind of compare cross-reference this story with some of the others is this. So this story has three specifically named women. Okay. So we've got two Marys and Salome. Um, and they, and Salome also gets a, a mention earlier um, in the 
uh, book of Mark um, just a little bit before um, in chapter 15, actually, verse 40. So um, she's kind of a known quantity in the book of Mark, at least, and probably to the early church, but um, it's not her first mention. Uh, so this one has those three women named specifically. Matthew uh, is going to name the two Marys. Luke is going to say just a group of women. And John is just going to mention Mary Magdalene. Now, whenever we are reading different gospel accounts of the same event, we have to realize that the biblical authors kind of find themselves in a bit of a catch-22. They are kind of in a no-win situation here. So if all the stories are exactly alike and have all the same details, well, then the critic's going to say, well, they clearly collaborated and probably falsified some of this information. Uh, but because there are some differences in the details of these accounts, then critics just say, well, it's obviously not true. They didn't have all the same facts. So you can see how it kind of creates a little bit of a bind. Honestly, I am very grateful that the scripture is how it is and that there are different details because it really does, I think, lend an incredible amount of authenticity that does not come from a story that is exactly alike. Uh, not only because I think it's important that we recognize the, the human author that was used by the Holy Spirit and the personality of that author is not muted or the style of that author is not muted, but instead their personality and style gets to come through. So we get to see that. But then also, yeah, this idea that, hey, I feel like this is probably true because if I was going to make something up, uh, if you and your friends get arrested, y'all are all going to make sure you have the same story when they separate you into the rooms and they say, don't you think those other two are writing you out right now? You know, but you want to make sure you have all the same story. I don't know that from experience, but I've seen some movies and that's what they do so anyways i'm glad that that's not the case because obviously that would seem suspicious to me so i i think that you know being able to have some details that are different uh, but not irreconcilable i think that's also really important it's not like these stories are totally different i think that gives us some comfort about the authenticity of the of the message that we have from these from these books of the bible so here's my thing i think this one's relatively easy to reconcile. Um, it's really this idea that just because you don't mention everybody who was there doesn't mean they weren't there. For example, if you were to talk about coming to Solid Rock uh, today, Thursday, you might have said, yeah, I went to Solid Rock and I saw Jordan and Jen and Nick. And that doesn't mean I wasn't here. Maybe you didn't see me. Maybe you just didn't mention me. Maybe that wasn't part of the story. Maybe you were telling somebody who knows Jordan, Jen, and Nick, but doesn't know me or Graham or Jason. And so you mentioned, oh, yeah, you, you know Jordan and Jen and Nick. And so those are the ones who kind of make it into your story, right? I think there are some, uh, there's a, a clear kind of logic to that. Um, and the fact that Salome gets mentioned in this account, and she's also already in the book, but Salome doesn't get mentioned by name. In the other ones, uh, I don't think really creates too big a struggle. So we this narrative has three. We know there are at least three. Um, obviously, Mary, both Marys are a part of that three. So that easily reconciles the Matthew and John ones. Um, just like one of them is mentioned. So it doesn't mean that no one else was there. Just that was the one that was mentioned. And then Luke makes it really easy and just says a group of women. So I, I feel like that one's all pretty easy to reconcile. But in this one, we get the most detailed description of who was there. So there you go. Take take that um, how you will. But I think it's, again, it's it's better for us to be in a situation where we have some small details that we have to kind of think through. Not that we want to treat scripture like it's this word puzzle or something and say, well, group could mean blah, blah, blah. Or, if you know, maybe there were three. Maybe We don't want to treat it like a puzzle or anything. It's scripture. It's 
not meant to fool us. Um, but at the same time, we have some small details, fairly easy to reconcile. That's better than a story that is maybe even suspiciously similar. So anyway, moving on then to verse four, they see that the, or they're wondering about the stone. It's going to be rolled, how it's going to be rolled away from the tomb. And in verse four, they get a pleasant surprise. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So the problem is solved. The stone is already rolled away. A bigger, more wonderful surprise awaits them. They see a uh, quote unquote here. We got we have young man um, is how Mark is going to state it. Uh, we're going to get um, we're going to understand that these are or that this is an angel. Uh, I think just from the context is pretty helpful from the other gospel accounts. Um, we understand that. But I don't think this is just some generally young guy who hangs around the tombs and happens to know what happened to Jesus. I think that seems far fetched. So this is most likely an angel, even though it says just as a young man here. And uh, in Luke, we've got two angels, but I'm kind of going to appeal to the same kind of argument above, just because this one doesn't say there were two angels. It doesn't say that there was only one, definitely just one. And the idea that there were two is foolishness. You know, it, it's not like it comes out strongly about that. So the fact that Luke says two, this one only mentions one, I don't think is really too big a deal. Not to me. Um, but this narrative has this single young man who we would understand to be an angel. And he tells them this excellent news. He said, you're looking for Jesus. I know the one who was crucified, but he's risen. He's not here. In fact, you know, check out the place where he had been laying and laid and see what's there and recognize that he's not here. No need to embalm. Just an opportunity to look at the place where he had been and where he no longer was. So they came with a, a problem. One of the problems was that um, their Messiah was dead. The other one was that they had a giant stone in the way of his tomb so that they were not going to be able to embalm his body. They see the problem of the stone was solved for them and a problem they did not expect to be solved, a gr or bigger problem they did not expect to be solved, that there's no need to embalm the body. Jesus has risen. So they get this exciting news, even though we're going to see here in verse 7 and 8 that this is maybe a little bit concerning to them. So in verse 7, it says, or the young man continues, he says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So they're given instructions um, to go and tell the disciples and Peter uh, what has happened. He reminds them that, hey, just say so you no, know, Jesus mentioned this before he died. Uh, we see pretty clearly from not just these women's reaction, uh, but from all the disciples' reaction uh, that they did not either, sometimes you feel like the disciples weren't listening, or maybe they heard him and just didn't believe him. It's hard to know, but they were not expecting this. We know that for sure. But he does remind him, remind the, the women, hey, he did mention this. So hopefully, I think for them, the hope is that it'll call to mind those things and they'll be like, ah, I see what he meant. Um, but it is 
interesting and significant here that Peter is singled out. So the biggest reason for this um, is because, if you remember, uh, Peter is the one who makes a, a big show of denying that he was a follower of Jesus. So he's going to, as Jesus predicted, he is going to deny three times. As people ask, weren't you a person who also followed Jesus? Weren't you with this Jesus? He's going to say no. And in fact, he's going to swear up and down that he was not with Jesus. And then he hears the rooster crow and he remembers that Jesus had predicted it, that he had said there's absolutely no way that's going to happen. He remembers and then he just wept bitterly and was just stuck in the guilt and the shame that he had brought on himself for denying his Lord. But what we see here, I think, is the uh, uh, one of the many examples of how Peter is going to be restored. So the reason that he's separate, I think there's probably two possibilities that could be true at the same time. One, it's this early indication that Peter's still like in, that Peter, God is not done with Peter. Peter has not taken himself out of the uh, possibility of being redeemed in this, even though he's denied Jesus, that he there's still this uh, place for him to be redeemed. And we're going to see in other gospel accounts how that is that does come to fruition, uh, especially we see in John, how Jesus uh, redeems and restores Peter to his standing. And of course, he becomes the uh, the major leader of the Jerusalem or of the Jewish church in, uh, in the area. Um, and so that's one is that, Hey, Peter's still a part of this second. It's, it's entirely possible um, that Peter had maybe stayed separated from the disciples up until then, uh, that he had not maybe rejoined um, the others that were gathered. Maybe he was in a separate place. Uh, that's entirely possible. We know at least at some point he does, uh, end up with John and they run to the tomb together and everything. But it's entirely possible that maybe maybe Peter was not uh, with the disciples or maybe if he was, they hadn't fully accepted him. Maybe this is also a message to the other disciples that God is not done with Peter. So um, he's, he's given this, uh, they're given this command to include Peter in this good news and to tell him as well. So uh, their their reaction is very understandable. They are afraid and they get on out of there. Um, in this narrative, actually, we get this uh, we get this story that they actually struggled at first. Um, trembling astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. So, uh, so you may notice if you have a, a Bible, um, whether it's physical copy or a digital copy. You probably will see some note in there. Um, it's definitely in the ESV. I think it's in most of the translations um, that most, some of the earliest manuscripts don't include uh, verses 9 through 20 of Mark. Most people, um, most biblical scholars do agree that this was added sometime later. Um, so a lot of times where it's kind of like, you know, there's some information in there, but we're not sure. The... Uh, the commentary I read on Mark, uh, it's by a guy named Archie France. He believes that this, that the verses nine through 20 were not the like original intended ending, but that Mark did intend to write more because he's like, it's just too strange a place to finish off. Like it doesn't go to where people actually encounter Jesus. It doesn't, uh, it kind of leaves with just this note of silence, which of course we know is not true because people found out about the resurrection. We know about it after all. 
So uh, he thinks it, it probably wasn't this ending, but there was some ending that was intended that maybe was never written down. Uh, regardless, we know from the other gospel accounts uh, that eventually the women did share this information, that even if they did have this period of time where they didn't say anything to anyone out of fear, that eventually they do tell the disciples um, about this and they go and find out. So um, also, you know, it says said nothing to anyone. Maybe, maybe it's to indicate their silence on the way and that they like, they kept it really hush hush until they got to the disciples. All that to say, we know eventually that they do share this good news, this gospel that Jesus had risen and, um, then, of course, they and the disciples and uh, 500 others are going to see the risen Jesus before he ascends into heaven, uh, right after we see in Matthew him giving them the Great Commission. So as we think about Easter, and of course, it comes around every year, and we know that it's about the resurrection, and it's about how wonderful that is, and we celebrate that time, and on Good Friday, we celebrate in kind of a solemnity that uh, Jesus was tortured and killed on our behalf. So we recognize the seriousness of that event. Uh, but we also celebrate that uh, our God would do that on our behalf. But so as we come to Easter, when we come to the resurrection and that joy is complete and Jesus is ascended, and of course we still have the joy of his uh, second coming to look forward to. But really we have to come to grips with, anytime we come to Easter or the story of the resurrection, we have to come to grips with the fact that if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection happened, then it, it changes everything. Whether you have believed in Jesus all your life, or you've never believed in Jesus, if, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. Because if Jesus has authority over death, then he is who he said he was. And he, all the things he did were the things that reveal to us who God is that he deserve and that he deserves our worship because he accomplished everything that he said he would do no other person no other being could could uh, emulate what he did um, it was completely unique so if it is indeed true that Jesus rose from the dead then it changes everything it changes the whole course of our life because that means he is who he said he was. Paul is going to talk about, um, to the Corinthians, he's going to say that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we above all are to be pitied. And I think his point is, we're undergoing quite a bit of difficulty on behalf of the name of Jesus. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then we are really making a mess of this, because we're getting in a lot of peril for no reason. But what he tells them is, but he did rise from the dead. And he did, and that's why it's worth going through all the things that his disciples would go through. It's the reason that we are willing to endure the trials and suffering that we go through to do uh, what is right in beha on behalf of Jesus because of what he's done, because the resurrection is true. So I want to just leave you with this last thought, because I do believe that the resurrection is true. I do believe that it changes everything. I believe that it's good news for the entire world both for the people during his time and everyone moving forward, and then even those before who had faith in God, this realization of the atonement and what Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection meant for those believers of old. You think about your Abrahams, your Moses, your Noahs, all those guys. And ladies back then that had faith in God, this is the, this is the moment that 
it's kind of the aha. So for all time, the, I, the resurrection is absolutely important. Now, this is what I want to leave you with, though. The women and the disciples who saw the risen Jesus experienced great trial and incredible suffering in order to continue sharing the good news. They underwent uh, torture, imprisonment. Um, pretty much every one of the disciples was killed. They had to see their friends and undergo all these things. They went through incredible suffering uh, on behalf of, of this message that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, why would the women and the disciples, and then even Paul who saw Jesus on the Damascus road, why would they go through all of that if they knew it was a lie? Why would they be so insistent to share this message that gained them nothing but the ire of their own people that gained them torture and imprisonment poverty, death, why would they do that all for the message of the gospel if they knew it was a lie? I think that's the question you have to answer. Why would they do it? Why would they go through all they went through if it was a lie? I don't think there's a good answer to that question. And what the then greater answer is, is that it wasn't a lie that the resurrection did happen, that the reason these people underwent all the difficulties they went on behalf of the name of Jesus, they did it because it was true. And they knew that it was true beyond the shadow of a doubt. They knew it was true. And that's why they were willing to give their very lives just to share this message with other people, not to earn great power or influence or wealth on the name of Jesus, but to lay down their lives, to make themselves servants, to bear with one another, to treat one another with, uh, as uh, to treat one another with understanding, even in things that they didn't believe in. This idea of the the weaker brother that Paul talks about. Why would they undergo all of that if they knew it was a lie? I don't think they would have. Which leads me to what. It seems to me to be a clear truth. They knew that it was the truth. And so as we encounter the resurrection this weekend, as we are reminded of what Jesus did, not being people that were actually there for the resurrection, what does it mean for us to recognize that this message was so important that those who went before us were willing to undergo incredible trial and death just so that we, the name of Jesus could continue to be shared throughout the ages. It means that it's true. And if it's true, like I mentioned, it changes everything. It changes everything about how we act and how we live and what we live for because if Jesus raised from the dead, then he deserves all our worship. So this weekend, as we remember his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and as we look forward to the time when we ourselves when these bodies are spent, that we will have our own resurrection from the dead to be with him forever. Let's take an opportunity to reflect on the areas of our lives that do not reflect the truth of the resurrection, that maybe show don't fully show how much we believe and trust that the resurrection changes everything, that Jesus changes everything. So this weekend, let's take an opportunity to, to realize, be grateful for, 
be changed by the fact that Jesus did really rise from the dead.